0: It's the seventh book of the New Testament, and it provides a pretty complete picture of some of the false building that can take place in building a church. It is possible that some of the termites that were gnawing away at the Corinthian church
1: have already started on yours, but it's not too late. The foundation can be checked. The right materials can be used, and the Lord Jesus can build a strong witness to the truth in your community.
0: Let's join Dave Wortson for the conclusion of The
1: Cure for Church Demolition, Part 2.
0: Instead of having line upon line, letting a man just teach what the Word of God teaches, wherever that might take us, a church begin to trust in their own wisdom. They begin to trust in their own organizational ability. They begin to trust in themselves. It happens subtly, like a little worm that just eats at the core of an apple. But we begin to build with unworthy materials. It's hard to put your finger exactly on what Paul means by the wood, hay, and the stubble. He's talking about the church in this context being a living building. He goes on to talk about the, the local church being a temple as we develop the passage in a few minutes. And so I think that we ultimately have to see what he's talking about is that we're building an external organization. You see, the reality of the matter is we have wheat and we have tares. I don't know who the tears are. And the Lord's told me not to try to decide that. We have gems over here but we also have some hay over here. We've got some gems here. we also got some hay here. We've got some gems in this section here, but we've got some real stubble here too. We've got some jewels over here, some precious diamonds and gold, but we also have got some stubble. And it's all interacting together. And no human being can try to separate it. Now we might grow. Suppose that I start teaching, let's say I just... Start teaching you every Sunday morning positive thinking. I don't tell you you're sinners anymore. I tell you you're really good. Totally good in yourselves. You can pull yourself up in your own bootstraps. You see, I, like I've gone to a lot of sales conventions. I went to one yesterday and it wasn't in the old line. It, it was very much built on biblical principles. But I've gone to sales conventions where they've got thousands of people there. Hundreds of thousands of people there. The best speakers I've ever heard. The best motivational speakers I've ever heard are in sales. And some of the best positive sales speakers I've ever heard are ministers. And they build, you can build a gigantic church that way. I want you to realize that. To illustrate what the Apostle Paul is talking about. You see, you can build a church. We have an idea. If lots of people are coming and we've got big buildings and lots of money, boy, the blessing of God is upon us. That's, as Americans, we believe that. God shed his grace on thee. That's why we make millions. It's not what grace means. So the Apostle Paul is envisioning a pastor, a religious leader that builds a work and it grows and it develops and it looks tremendous. It looks like an unbelievable edifice. But they've moved, they moved using different material. They started depending upon human wisdom. They're not proclaiming the, the essence of the gospel. They're not motivating people to be born into God's family anymore. They're much more concerned with just their intellect. It's lost the power. And so the church is a big building, lots of people coming, but it's a corpse. It's a lot of material. In fact, the tragedy is because the truth of the gospel is not crystal clear anymore. Because the essence of a personal relationship with Christ is not the essence of the church anymore. Lots of people are coming, but many of them have never met Christ personally. And the tragedy there is when the eternal time of reckoning comes, those that do not know Christ in a personal way, will be consumed in the judgment of God, which is represented by fire. Let's look at that. It says here, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work, because the day will bring it to light. In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talked about those that were eagerly awaiting His coming. He talked about being kept blameless until the day of the Lord. I want all of you to realize something. There is a day of reckoning that's coming. I know it's not popular for preachers to tell you that anymore, but it's true. One day, the Savior who came the first time as a lowly Galilean peasant, the next time will come as a righteous, flaming, fireball judge with piercing, penetrating eyes that will sear into every one of our hearts and will expose all the motives that have been there, will expose all the, everything in our heart. And those that know Christ as their personal Savior need have no fear because Paul said we will be kept blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. Those who love Him do not need to fear His appearing if you're trusting in the grace of God, then the day of the coming of the Lord is like the the coming of a lover to you. It's like like getting married. It's a great day to look forward to. But for those that don't know Christ, it will be a day of searing, penetrating judgment. And by the way, for some of you that feel it's very unfair, it will be absolutely fair. It will be totally fair. Jesus is the only judge who can judge people fairly. the Scripture is very clear that he will judge all according to their deeds. There will be degrees of punishment in hell. There will be total justice, total righteousness, a perfect judge. And I challenge you to think about that. Some of you say, well, I don't want to believe in Christ. I don't like the way he does things. When he, he makes this judgment, he makes that judgment. I ask myself, what gives me the right to judge? You see, your problem is not with the gospel. Your problem is with your pride. That's my problem. You see, we're always blaming God for his judgment, but he's the only one that has the right to judge. Do you know what's going on in someone else's heart? Do you really know the motivations that are deep inside of someone? Half the time, I don't even know what's going on in my own heart. How about you? There's a deep mystery in our human personality. We're not even capable of judging our own motivations, not along somebody else, alone somebody else's. But it's so good to realize there's a judge who's perfect, who knows everything, the past, the present, the future. If you're trusting in the cross of Calvary, if you're trusting in the resurrected Christ, it's all under the blood, you need have no fear. If you haven't come to that place of personal trust, Why don't you open your heart so that that fear could be dissolved? so That you would face Jesus as your Savior because a believer will never face Him as His condemning judge. But those that do not know Christ, and in one sense we could say that the wood, hay, and the stubble that are gathered to a church that stopped really communicating the gospel, and they've just become part of the edifice, they've just become part of the culture, they've just become part of the cathedral externally, they will be consumed. And that's a tragedy. Another thing Paul might have in mind is that all that teaching, all that Gnosticism, all that intellectual wisdom that the Corinthians were beginning to trust in would all be burned up. So the idea of the wood, hay, and the stubble can refer to doctrine that's not consistent with the Holy Scriptures, but false doctrine that's not consistent with the Holy Scripture will build a family that doesn't have committed believers in it. On the other hand, there's precious jewels. And I want to stress that, because when I talk to you like this, some of you that are precious jewels really trust in Christ. You're growing in Him. You're not perfect yet. But you're on the way. Don't think of yourself as wood, hay, and stubble. You're not. If you're a child of God, if you've opened your heart by grace, you are a precious gem. And the hardest thing to do is to get you to believe that. To rejoice in the diamond nature, the gold purity of your life that was given as a gift. So when we study a passage like this, because some of you have been railed at, You've been preached that so much. You're wood, hay, and stubble. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Man, you don't want to be burned up in the judging wrath of God. Some of you have never heard the other side. If you've come to the cross, you're a gem as a gift. The Lord loves you. The hardest thing for me to just rest in is an unbelievable truth. David, you're okay because of the blood of Calvary. David, your father just loves you, not because you do things, but because you believed in him. He loves you. You're a gem. It's hard to believe that. And it's hard for you to believe. And so those that really are gems don't need to fear the evaluation of Christ. The tragedy of a teacher that knows the gospel, the tragedy of a teacher that really has the foundation of their own life, but they don't make it clear My heart agonizes over pastors like that. I see pastors who I believe in their own hearts, they do know the gospel. But because they're afraid of people, they're afraid of wounding maybe the powerful people in their church, they're not communicating the purity of the gospel anymore. And that grieves me deeply because there's many people that are gathered together to a church family like that that are wood, hay, and stubble because they've never become a gem through the blood of Calvary. The Scripture says that that teacher that's moving away from the Gospel, but they do know the Gospel themselves, they will be saved because salvation is totally free. Look at verse 15. If the work which this preacher has done is burned up, he will suffer loss. All that effort, all that human life will be wasted. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. It's like your house is on fire and you built the whole house out of wood, hay, and stubble, all combustible material. And the house burns up over you, and like lot of old, you run out of the burning city. Just as the whole thing goes up in this terrible, terrible holocaust, you run out. And this phrase, save through the flame, is a phrase that we use in the Old Testament in Amos for being snatched like a firebrand from the fire. It doesn't mean that your salvation was on shaky grounds. But it means that your life, this false, this teacher that began to move off the foundation, started to teach his own wisdom, started to rely upon his own power, the whole house he erected is burned, and he's just snatched out of the burning house as the whole thing goes up in flame, because this world is passing away and the desires thereof. So we have a false teacher in this case who is a believer, knows the gospel, but doesn't build the church upon that foundation of Christ, begins to alter the teaching of the scripture a little bit, and therefore creates a church family that's not really built on the rock of Christ. The next verses talk about another false teacher that moves completely off the foundation. You see, the teacher we've just been talking about in one way is building the foundation, but they're building with unworthy material. Not scriptural teaching, building with gimmick approaches, all kinds of things. But now we move into another kind of a church family where the foundation's gone. Where the gospel isn't even there anymore. A personal relationship with Christ is not real anymore. And And the Lord talks very strongly about this individual. Look at verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? I'm going to read those verses to you again. That's an incredible statement. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? As we're gathered together, the Spirit of the living God is among us. Do you know that? As we are gathered together, because many of you know Christ in a personal way, the unseen presence of Christ dwells in your heart. And when you gather together with other believers, you are a temple of God. In the Old Testament, the temple of God was the temple not because it was built a certain way, not because beautiful stones were in it. It didn't become the temple until the Shekinah glory. The visible manifestation of the presence of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And a priest could only go in there one time a year. As we gather together, the Apostle Paul is saying something incredible. You are the temple of God. The local church is the temple of God. Boy, am I excited about that. One of the responsibilities I have in God's family is to care for the temple. I have a business friend that had Mary and I over to eat. Guys, really successful in business. And I have to be honest, I get intimidated by a real powerful North Dallas businessman. And I say, Lord, maybe I did the wrong thing. You know, maybe I should have done something more responsible. And boy, this businessman just socked me right between the eyes. He said, Wurtson, man, the Lord didn't want you to be a doctor. The Lord didn't want you to go into business. Before we had the meal, he says, Dave, I just want you to know how thankful I am to the Spirit of God that He's made you a pastor-teacher with the awesome responsibility to week after week teach God's temple, the very dwelling of God, the people in which God dwells to help them, to serve them. Now, the businessman had a part in that, but he just reminded me about how different our perspective needs to be. And I would just remind it again what an unbelievable privilege it is to serve the temple of God. So many of you have come to church for years and you're always getting whipped. Oh, I don't want you to feel whipped. I want every one of you to realize you are so precious. And I'm not saying that like a salesman that's trying to get you to work for him so he'll make a big buck. You're precious because by a miracle of God's grace, in spite of all of our problems, you're the temple of God. You're the dwelling of God, all of you that have believed. You know what God says? God says that if a preacher destroys you, the preacher were to come and teach false doctrine, opposed to the holy word of God, And that preacher were to begin to work in a church family, and by teaching this false doctrine, because he didn't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Scripture says that that man, because he destroyed the holy sanctuary of God, he will be destroyed. Lex talionis, the total justice of God. You know, there's one sinner that I would never, I wouldn't want to trade the place of anybody that didn't believe in Christ. But if I had no other choice, I would rather be the most heinous criminal down in Huntsville than the most eminent liberal preacher that stands in a pulpit week after week supposedly teaching the Word of God, supposedly teaching people the way to heaven, supposedly communicating the truth about Jesus Christ, and he doesn't believe it, and he doesn't teach it. I wouldn't trade places with that man for anything. That's probably going to be the worst judgment of hell. Because the Lord says the individual that destroys the local church that builds it on another foundation, that starts to build another building, has stopped building the church. In essence, he's destroying it, tearing it down. Now, it's hard to hear speaking like that. In our day, everybody's nice. Everybody's good. But it's not so. There's tremendous delusion out there. There's tremendous evil false teaching. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, The false teacher that does not build on a personal relationship with Christ, that doesn't tell you that you're saved by grace, that doesn't give you the hope of eternal life in Christ alone, the preacher that would teach, for example, that you can earn it through your own strength, you can earn it by being baptized, you can earn it by joining a church, is someone who will come under the destructive judging hand of God. He goes on to say this. Do not deceive yourself. If anyone thinks he's wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Human beings will come up with all kinds of plots and plans. And God says, I'm going to be like a hunter to the self-sufficient, prideful, scheming man. I'll use even their cunning to trap them. And then he says this, I know that the thoughts, the reasonings of the wise are futile. You know, man can do a lot of things. Man can build marvelous airplanes. The scripture is not saying we might not be able to send a man to Mars. The scripture is not saying that man is not made in the image of God and that he can't think. The scripture is not saying you can't learn a lot of things in physics and chemistry and math. You know what this scripture is saying? When it comes to the ultimately big questions, what happens to me when I die? How do I know there's a God? Is there a God in heaven? What kind of a God is he? What about eternity? Those questions that are burning in our souls because we're made in God's image, all of man's reasonings cannot answer those questions. But a simple revelation from God can. For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. A declaration of God, the charisma, the preaching of the cross. The believer believes it, the unbeliever trusts in himself, and the Lord says, I'll trap you. I'll be like a hunter that will use your very cunning to trap you in my plans because God always wins. The believer stops fighting and gets down on their knees, and then they realized that they fell in love with the most ultimate loving father you could ever find. The prideful unbeliever just keeps scheming, keeps plotting, keeps pridefully trying to do it their own way. And the Lord says, You can't win because I'm God. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, So that no more boasting about men. And you need to hear this all things are yours. Did you hear what this statement is saying? All things are yours. You know, when you drive around this city, it all belongs to you. Now, it's going to be revamped a little bit, because the Lord isn't like the way it is right now. He's not going to give it to you yet. It's just not good enough for you yet. But I want you to know, and I'm not just whistling through my teeth. I promise you eternally that all things belong to you. Look what Paul goes on to say here. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Paul belongs to you. Peter belongs to you. Apollos belongs to you. All the gifted teachers that really teach the Word of God, they all belong to you. That's why you should never put one teacher against another. Don't say, well, I like Dave. I, I don't like him. I don't like him. I don't like him. Don't ever say that because they all belong to you. They're all yours. And he says this. Paul gets really excited. The world belongs to you. You ever start my thing about that? The world belongs to you. That's unbelievable. Second of all, life belongs to you. And death belongs to you. Boy, am I thankful for that. My life belongs to me. It's a gift I've received from God. And in Christ, it belongs to me. I don't know the day of my death. But in Christ, it'll be under control. Now, that's great. Because death's scary. But for a believer... Death belongs to you. It won't be out of the plan of God for your life. It's not an enemy that's been totally vanquished yet, but all that enemy of death can do for a believer is be a doorway into heaven. And if you believe that, you'll have peace. Look what else he says. The present belongs to you and the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. The economy is terrible for some of you. Physical health for some of you is very tenuous. We don't know what the future will bring. There are so many fears in all of our lives. And all I would covet that by the grace of God that you would understand what the Apostle Paul is telling us. Jesus Christ belongs to us in the present and we belong to him. Catastrophes and joys. Crises and victories. You know what? Look back over my life. The Lord Jesus Christ has never let me down doesn't make any difference what Wall Street does. doesn't make any difference what the Dallas economy does. It doesn't make any difference about physical health or ill health. Because nothing can separate me from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus my Lord. And what this text is telling us is that one day the day will come. For us that are believers, that day when Christ comes back will not be a day of fear. It will not be a day of of being cast away from the presence of God instead it will be a day of being
1: brought to the feet of Jesus and
0: united with him forever and ever
1: and ever this is Dave Wortson and it brings to a close our study of 1st Corinthians chapter 3 verses 10 through 23 as we've carefully looked at the Apostle Paul's statement about what the church needs to be built upon the foundation of a church and the kind of materials that need to be used as we build a church and I just think it's very important for us to take a few minutes just to to ask you to consider what's the foundation of your life? Have you come to that moment when you've looked at the events of Calvary and you've looked at the events of Easter morning and you've made a decision about whether or not you're gonna believe it's just a story or whether or not you're gonna believe that it's the gospel truth. Will you trust in the fact that Jesus is the only foundation who can give you an an eternal foundation, a life that will last forever and ever. You know, it's just a simple thing right there where you're sitting. Maybe you're driving a car or whatever it might be. Why don't you just drop what you're doing for a minute and invite the Lord Jesus to be your personal Savior. Just say something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I realize that the foundation of my life has been many other things. And this morning, I want Jesus Christ to be the foundation of my life. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus. Thank you for rising again to give me new life. I want to invite you to come into my life right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it from the depths of your heart, then the scripture says that based upon Christ's promise to you that you became a child of God.